0: Find a seat, we'll get down to business. Does anyone need a handout? If you do, if you raise your hand, Phil will get you one. Philip will get you one. Everybody satisfied? Everybody got coffee? Whatever? Okay. Hot chocolate? Whatever your poison even got some water I think around here somewhere. Okay um, we've got many visitors with us this morning for which we're very thankful. Um, just to kind of bring everybody up to where we're at, uh, today will be our last session in First Samuel. Okay, we you know we rotate from church from uh, an overview of a book to church history to systematic theology and, and about six rotations that we go through in six week segments. Okay, and we've been doing this now for like five or six years. It seems to work really well for us, and um, so today we are going to uh, be in First Samuel three. And then next week, I don't know where we'll be, but we'll be somewhere in First Samuel. We're just going to work our way through. And in, in the past, we've done more of a of a survey type situation. And I just there's just too much in First Samuel to hit the highlights, you know. Uh, I stayed at a church for twenty years where we covered sixteen chapters a week, you know, uh, not literally, but it seemed like it. So we're just we're just going to going to take our time and we're going to go through it. So next time, the next time the the um, book study comes up, we'll just pick up where we left off, which will be around First uh, Samuel 4 or 5, in that but then we'll, we'll go on from there. Next week we study, we start church history. Um, Matt is not here this morning, I don't know exactly where he left off last time. But those of you who have been in before know he is an outstanding teacher. He is just, does a fabulous job with it. So um, we can look forward to that. Okay, everybody, sit on it. Okay, come on in. Let's have a word of prayer together and then we'll um, we'll be in Chapter 3. Father, we just thank you now that um, your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And Lord, it's not just words on a page, but it's the power of God unto salvation. So, God, we ask that that your word would do its work in our lives this morning. Lord, you promise us, you say that the spirit of God takes the word of God, changes the, uh, changes the child of God into the image of God for the glory of God. That's what we're asking you to do today. Father, you have given us such a glorious example in the life of, of Samuel. Such a glorious example of God taking a life, molding it, equipping it, and using it to his glory. So God, we ask that you would open our understanding this morning. We ask that you would fill us with your spirit. And we ask that you would teach us and change us to be more honoring glorify it to you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. 1 okay. Samuel 3. You know, we've talked about the fact that there are a lot of transitions that we see in the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to talk this morning about the, the tra- more about the transformation from the leadership of Eli into the le- leadership of, of Samuel. Um, when we get to chapter 3 verse 1 it says now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli and the word from the Lord and word from the Lord was rare in those days visions were infrequent so this was a time of of real challenge it was a time of of darkness um, because God while we had the word of God, the the revelation of God, the fresh revelation of God, uh, was not was not there. It was a time of darkness. It was a time of when God's people were in sin, and uh, we're going to see that more this morning in the life of, uh, of uh, Eli and, and his sons. During the Reformation or after the Reformation, you know, there was a, a slogan that they came up with: "After darkness, light." Because the people in the time of the um, Reformation had been through a dark time. They had been under the tyranny of the Catholic Church. The word of God was not as readily available to them uh, as it had been and would be in the future. And, And light for God's people comes when the word of God has free course among them. You know, we take it for granted that we have the word of God available to us at any time. We take it for granted that we can come to church on Sunday morning and we can hear God's word proclaimed. But it's not always that case. The word of Yahweh is his gift, his people. And the word withheld is a sign of his displeasure and judgment. It often is a sign of his displeasure and judgment. And we're seeing in chapter 3, verse 1, it says that word from the Lord was rare in those days. In uh, Amos 8, Amos speaks about times of God withholding his word. It says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread, but a a thirst or a thirst for water, rather for hearing the words of the Lord. He was talking about times when God sends a famine of the word when the word is just not available to God's people. Now that's where we are in Judges, excuse me, in First in Samuel. This was the this was the time of the judges, you remember. We went through the book of Judges last time. These were the days of the judges. There were tumultuous times when when every man did what was right in his own sight. So what does that tell you? If everybody's doing what is right in his sight, it's all wrong in it. You know, they were living in rebellion against God. And but everyone was doing right in his own sight. And especially in the little town of Shiloh and the priesthood there. We saw this last week. We saw the the the, the, the gross immorality, the gross sinfulness that had had actually moved into the priesthood itself. We saw how Eli and his sons were living and sin okay they were dishonoring God they were dishonoring God's word and so as God comes to the time when he plans to release his word again to his people when he plans to to raise up this young boy this Samuel to represent himself we find that God worked in the lives of Eli and his sons to clean house okay he's got to remove them okay they have brought they have rebelled against Lord against the Lord and God is going to remove them. In 1 Samuel 2 3:2 2, we see that the Word of God is going to come to Samuel. Um, let's take a look at uh, three verses 2 through 10. since I've got the microphone and we can hear hopefully you can understand it uh, it happened at the time as Eli was lying down in his place now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well and the lamp of God had not yet gone out and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was that the, the Lord called Samuel and, and, he, and he said here I am Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called yet again Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Nor had the word of the Lord been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And and, uh, it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. So here we have the word of God coming to Samuel. You know, when God wants to do a work among his people, he's normally going to select a person. He's going to select a man. He's going to select a woman. He's going to prepare them. He's going to make them a, a, a usable instrument in his hands. And we've seen that, that God has done this very thing in the family and now in the life of 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 Samuel but in in the first few verses of chapter 3 the Lord gives us a lot of detail about what the setting was at that particular time. It tells us that Samuel was ministering to the Lord for Eli. You remember Um, Samuel's mother had had taken him and had entrusted him into the hands of Eli uh, because of a vow that she had made to the Lord. So Eli was laying down in his place. Apparently they lived right there in the temple. Eli was laying down in his place. It tells us that his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could not see well. And then it tells us that the lamp of God had not gone out. Now there was a lamp in the temple that had to burn around the clock, 24-7. Okay, And it was lit each night and it burned all night and then all through the day that represented the presence of the Lord among his people here again the light representing the Lord so apparently part of Samuel's responsibility was to keep this light burning so it's, apparently it was in the morning the light was still going and Samuel was laying down in his normal spot Eli was laying down in his spot Then all of a sudden the call comes and in it came four times. The first time in verse four it says, And the Lord called to Samuel. Verse what six, the Lord again called yet again Samuel. Verse eight, the Lord called him. But then in verse ten there's a change. That fact there are two changes. Okay? Two changes in the way he's he's calling Samuel significant changes the fourth time verse 10 says and the Lord what? the Lord came and he stood and he called at other times at other times so there there was some that fourth call was different there was a presence there now we can't say what it was or who it was God doesn't tell us and we don't we don't, we don't guess about things like that but it talks about the fact that the Lord did come okay there was a presence there with Samuel that wasn't there before and there are, note the other thing he says Samuel Samuel he uses his name he calls him twice his name twice that may seem rather insignificant but I don't think it is um, one of the commentaries that I use. Oh excuse my throat's awful dry this morning. Says the repetition of the of the personal name, is reminiscent of the divine call to Abraham in, at Mount Moriah, and the one Moses and one to Moses at the burning bush. The similarity suggests that this moment was as important in Samuel's life, and for all Israel. As the parallel moments were in the lives of the earlier heroes of the faith. So apparently this was so much more. This was a turning point in the lives of the people of Israel. And we're going to see that as we go forward. Okay? This was God placing his hand on this servant that He had that He had ordained, that He had called. But what's, what's Samuel's response? When, when he hears the Lord call, who does he think it is? He thinks it's Eli, right? So Eli is the only other person in the room. So he gets up, he goes to Eli. You called, here I am. I didn't call you go the way back down. Well, it took Eli three times before he realized that maybe there's something going on here we need to be open to. So he tells Samuel, he says, go and lay down. And if he calls you again, you're to say, speak, for your servant listens. Now, chapter 3, verse 7 tells us maybe why Samuel didn't know that it was the Lord calling. It says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord been revealed to him. One of the reasons Samuel didn't realize that it was the Lord was because he didn't know him. Now, we don't know at what age Samuel was left in the temple. Most people think around, but because of the the scripture talking about uh, him being weaned before he left, It was probably somewhere in the neighborhood three or four years old. We don't know. Josephus, again, I'm just reading out of a commentary. But Josephus says that according to history, that that Samuel was probably about nine years old when this event happened. Now, we don't know this. Uh, maybe he knows something. I don't well, obviously know more than that. But apparently he had been there for a while is the point I'm making. Okay. He had been there in the temple with the holy man, you know, Eli and his sons for maybe as much as six years or more and yet the scripture says he didn't know the He was involved in the religion, no doubt, and the sacrifices and the offerings and all this kind of stuff. But he still, at this point, did not know the Lord. Read something really interesting this week. James Montgomery Boyce talking about what it is to know God, talking about the difference in an awareness of God and actually knowing him thought this was really neat he says knowing God is entering into a knowledge is entering into a knowledge of our deep spiritual need and of God's provision for that need and then coming to trust and reverence him what he's saying is you can't really know God until you know your need our spiritual need in light of who God is and his provision for that I thought that was really neat. You know, we cannot know God personally until that, there is that relationship, until God reveals our need and His provision for that need. And once we see that, we really come to know the Lord. But anyway, they um, Eli told him says, um, he says, just say, speak, Lord, for your for your servant is listening. Now how, sidetrack for just a minute, how do we get to know what does it take in the life of of an individual to really come to know the Lord? Several points on top of page 11 there. First off, there has to be a call from God. Now, we're not going to go into this in any real depth. We've done this before. I think what we're going to see is God calling this little boy, God bringing this little boy Samuel to himself. So I want us to kind of understand what's involved here. First off, for a man to be saved, God must take the initiative to seek and to save. No one in spiritual darkness will seek the Lord on his own initiative has this little boy, maybe as much as six years, maybe more, who's been in the temple. He's seen all the religion, all that the temple has to offer. But he still doesn't know the Lord. One of the reasons, God has not called him to himself yet. God has not taken the initiative to reveal himself. And we're going to see that God's going to do that. Secondly, God must bring uh, the light to the lost man. He must bring the truth. He must bring the gospel. Okay, He must give us his spirit so that we can interpret. The spirit can interpret the gospel to us and we can apply it to ourselves. God must make himself known to the spiritually so blind. And here again, it's not just knowledge about God, but to come to know him in light of who we are and what our God must pursue the sinner, and then God must extend the irresistible call for man to come to him. From God's perspective, from God's part, this is basically what it takes. There's a lot more involved, there's more detail, but this is what we're going to see. God taking the initiative with this boy. God bringing the truth to Samuel. God making himself known. God pursuing him over and over coming to him, calling him to himself. And then we're gonna see that God's gonna God's gonna extend this this irresistible call. And and Samuel's gonna be ready for it. Samuel is going to respond to it. So let's go back to, to the scriptures, chapter three, verse four and five. And we're gonna see the divine call, God's call on Samuel. Some of these things we will be repeating the verses, but it'll do us all good. Keep us up to date. All right. Uh, verse three says that the Lord called. Verse four, excuse me. The Lord called Samuel, and he said, "Here I am. Here am I." So they they sent. Well, sorry, turn two pages at once. Here I am. Then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called. But he said, I did not call you. Lie down. So he went and laid down. Here again, what we want to see is the fact that, that God initiated the call. God is the source of that call. Okay? There was nothing that Samuel did. There was, it was solely the fact that it, in, God, in God's timing, this little boy was to, be, was to come to himself. You know, one a definition I love of of the, the call, God's calling us, is the activation in time of God's of the activation in time of God's election in eternity past. You know, in eternity past God elected Samuel. God knew Samuel. God determined that Samuel would be saved, that that he would use him. But for those years that led up to this call, Samuel was oblivious to what was going on. Samuel knew, didn't know. That's right like with us and our salvation. I was 33 for a while I was saved. You know, I didn't know what was going on. I thought it did, but it didn't. But at a point in time, known only to God, he activates that call. He says, This is the time. Now, to us as humans, that's we say, Oh, well, that's when God called me. That's when I was saved. And, and that's true. But it goes back further than that. It goes back to the time when God determined that we were to be his. So God is the source of the call. He had to initiate it because the call was to himself and no other human being could ever seek God on his own. So we see a divine call. Okay, We see that in the lives of every person who ever comes to know the Lord. They, it may look different. There's gonna be that time when God's gonna say, Come unto me. It was a definite call. like the Lord called to Samuel. Look at 3-6. And, and this is repeated several times. The Lord called yet again Samuel. So Samuel ran to, uh, went to him, ran to Eli. It's a it's a very definite call, it's a very individual call. Okay. The Lord called to Samuel Samuel was a divine summons. God called Samuel by name. He knows and calls his sheep by name. There is an outward invitation of the gospel extended indiscriminately to whosoever, but the inward call is is issued individually only to God's elect. You know, the scripture says, whosoever will to the Lord can come. That's true. But who's willing? the ones who are God's chosen, the elect. Okay? But it's a definite call. God doesn't say, well, I need 150 new ones today, so come on. It was the fact that he knew you for the foundation of the world. He knew your face. He knew the color of your hair. Well, some of you ladies may have changed it on him, but um, <laughs> he knew the color of your hair. You know, He, he knew that word know is not just he knows what decision you're going to make. That word know is a very intimate relationship. It's the, it's the one that, that the scripture says that, that the husband knows his wife. It's, there is a, a, an extremely intimate personal relationship there. So he issues the call. It's a divine call. It's a, it's a, def, it's a definite call. A specific purpose. You remember that you know, when when God called um, Lazarus out of the tomb, you know He said, "Lazarus, come forth." You know, you heard if you know if He had used Lazarus' name, every person who had ever died would have come forth. You know, but Lazarus come forth, Samuel come forth, and then thirdly, it was um, a dominant. It was one that could not be, uh, could not be resisted. Uh, chapter three, verse eight. So the Lord called Samuel again, for the third time, and he arose and went to Eli. Here I am, for you call me. And Eli discerned that it was the Lord calling the boy. So has the third time, and there'll be a fourth time. There will be a response to those that God is, is, um, is calling to himself. God is always effective obtaining the intended result. The call is a sovereign summons, a divine warrant that arrests the heart with omnipotent grace and, and making it captive to God. It cannot be resisted ultimately. Steve Lawson. God's call is is divine it's it's definite and it's dominant. We can we can resist it for a period of time within God's will. We can fight against it if we want to. But in the end God will have his way. God will have his elect. So we see that the the the, the word of God is is moving again. The word of God is is um, uh, is coming to Samuel, okay? He is God's chosen instrument. He's the one that God was called, equip and prepare. But then picking up in verse eleven, we see that the, the word of God comes through Samuel. Okay, it came to Samuel to establish him as God's chosen vessel. Now we're going to see the word of God moving through Samuel. God's people it's part of God's plan let's look at chapter 3 verse 11 Uh, that's good there's a glare across that clock and I can't see it so that's good I can just keep on and on I've got to watch the Lord said to Samuel behold I am about to do a thing in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. And that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew because, of his, sons, uh, because his sons brought a curse on themselves and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house will not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. But Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And he said, What is the word that he spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me, of all the words that he spoke to you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him, and, said, it is, and he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So here we have the Lord speaking through Samuel. You know, the, uh, the Lord, Samuel's confirmation is a prophet. Is, it comes in this passage. In fact, down we're going to get to it a little bit later. Um, verse 20, it says, Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. Two things have to be true if a person is confirmed as a prophet to the Lord. First off, the Lord has to speak through him. He has to have a thus saith the Lord. And then what he prophesies has to come true. Okay? So that's a two-fold test of, of a prophet, a person who claims to be a prophet of God. He's got to speak from God. What he says has got to, to gee and Hall with the book. He's got to be in conformity. And then what he says has to come true. Deuteronomy 18.21 says now, uh, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Comes at it from the negative standpoint. It says when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. So he comes at it from the from the negative. He says, you know, if something he says. Um, does not come true, then you know that this is not the prophet of the Lord. But we're going to find that Samuel is going to be speaking um, for Yahweh. He is indeed to be confirmed as a a prophet of the Lord. Um, So the Lord said in in verse 12, um, the Lord said to Samuel, I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning If you remember last week in chapter 2, the Lord detailed out exactly what the charges were against Eli and his house. And that's what he's talking about here. He said, I will break. I'm not going to go back and read all of the scripture, but I just listed the main points for you. God said, I will break your strength and the strength of your house as a result of Eli's sin, as a result of the fact that he did not deal with his son's. He did not punish his sons. He did not remove his sons from the priesthood, which he should have done. He said, because of that, I'm going to break your strength and the strength of your house. You have to go forward in the scriptures uh, a good ways to see over the years how God brought that to to fruition. Well, It was pretty quick in the the lives of Eli's sons, but then the the aftermath, so to speak, spread through, through generations. I will break your strength and the strength of your house it says there will not be an old man in your house forever his sons were cut down in their in their prime so to speak other people in future generations were cut down I will cut off every man of yours from my altar you know that it was a, it was a tremendous blessing that, Eli's, uh, that um that Eli's family had received in being a priest because they had the right to to the, to the provisions that God had made for the priests to, to receive their living, to receive their food, also to, to be God's instrument of teaching to his people and of telling, um, uh, ministering to, to God's people. He says, I'm going to cut off every man of yours from my altar. Your two sons will die on the same day. Everyone in your house will beg for a job or a piece of bread. All these priests were going to be out of work, so to speak. through generations, they had been able to make their living off of the, the temple. They can no longer do that. And then this. This is a solemn, solemn word we need to hear. He says, their iniquity will not be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering forever. There would be no forgiveness. How do we understand that? Let me read this to you. It says the worst of the rotten things that the sons of Eli did was to treat with contempt the very provision that God had made for the forgiveness of their sins. You know I say they treated with contempt the very provision that God made—the sacrifices to Picture the provision, the forgiveness, they treated it with contempt. God says there's one way to be saved and they treat it with contempt. Do you understand the horror of these words? If the gracious provision of God has, if the gracious provision God has made for the forgiveness of sin is spurned, scorned, disdained, despised, there is nothing left but the fearful prospect of judgment. You know, you understand that? People put Jesus down. They slur his name. They use his name. They mock him. Folks, that's the one and only way. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he meant it. There's no way. Now, how do you expect to get to heaven if you destroy in your own mind the one and only way that God has provided. The New Testament recognizes the same reality. If you trample the Son of God underfoot, if you treat with contempt the death of Jesus for your sins, what hope do you think there is for you? There is no sacrifice left to atone for your sins if you have discarded the death of Jesus. There is no sacrifice left to atone for your sins if you have discarded the death of Jesus. We need to be very cautious, friends. We need to be very cautious. Does that mean if you have made a mistake, if you have rejected God at some point in your life, that that's it, it's all over with? God is a forgiving God. God calls you to himself. If you're willing to come, then there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. But in the end, if, if in the end when it's all over with, if you have refused what God has offered, if you have refused what God has provided for, there's no place for you to go but to hell. And I don't use that word for... Either our sins have to be borne by ourselves and we have to pay the price for them which is eternal damnation or they go to Jesus and he bears them in our half. There's no other way. There's no other way. So we see here the Lord said to Samuel I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house. And we've seen the judgment how he planned to judge his house. The sin that brought this judgment we just mentioned uh, was the iniquity of Eli's sons which he knew uh, and that brought a curse and he did not rebuke them. He did re- he did rebuke them but he did not remove them is what I should have put. Mike, I was, for those of you who don't know, Mike's one of the other elders. This is something that really to me like you know when when a person is in their sin, after we encourage them after we do all we can to, to encourage them to turn, if they don't for the sake of the body at times that we may have to remove, them. you know we, tra- we practice church discipline in, in this church and that's, that's not a threat. that's just a you know that's the truth of God's word. But we have to be careful. We just have to be careful. If there's someone in the body that is bringing dishonor to the Lord, if there's someone in the body who's bringing a sin that's hurting the body, that person is called to repentance. You know, and they're called more than once. But if they don't repent, then we'll suffer the rebuke of, that God gave to Eli if we don't remove that, that sin from our body. Heavy stuff. I'm sorry, I don't mean to put you down. Rejoice in the Lord. He's good. He's forgiving. He's kind. He says, Whosoever come. And if you're willing to come, he'll open your heart and he'll allow you to come to him. So don't let me get you down. He received the message now, he's got to he's got to deliver it. And this little boy's not too sure. Uh, the latter part of verse 15 says, "But Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli." Now I can imagine that he literally means afraid. <laughs> you know, he must have known what Eli's reputation was. But you know, no true prophet, no true tra- true child of God, is going to enjoy having to. This- seeing sin and seeing another person broken or seeing another person punished you know, we should grieve every bit as much for that person who is being punished as we do for ourselves so the caution of Samuel it says that Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli the true prophet must speak the prophet's words Else, why else was he entrusted with him. And yet the prophet recalls in speaking judgment. He has no pleasure in that. Apparently there was a several commentaries brought this out. That there must have been a special relationship that grew between Eli and, and Samuel. The only real indication we have Is in verse six where he spoke of Samuel as being his son. But just you can you can kind of read, and again we don't read into the scripture, but you can you can sense uh, a tenderness between them, and and the way that they respond to one another. Um, And so Samuel, you know, I'm sure he was between a rock and a hard place, and having to confront, or at least just pass the message on. Of course, that's the, really the, um, the the job of the prophet, the preacher, the teacher. You know, it's not to invent the lesson; it's just to carry it. You know, does Dan's talk about the, the, the like a, he's a waiter. His job is only to get the the, the the message from the from the kitchen to the table without messing it up. So, to speak, you know. so Eli says, "What is the word?" And may God do to you and more, if you hide anything from Him. So Samuel did what Samuel should have done. He told him, okay. If you hide it, and so Sam says Samuel, in verse eighteen. Samuel told him everything, and hid nothing from him. So what's the reception on Eli's? You know, Eli didn't try to. Justify. He didn't try to fight it. He just said, "It is the Lord. Let Him do what seems good to Him." I think all the fight was out of Eli by this time. You know, I don't. I, obviously, I don't think he was he was broken for his sin, but I think he knew he was up against somebody he couldn't beat. That's the way I interpret it. No self-defense. No self-justification. Said it's the Lord, you know. At least he acknowledged his sin. If he wasn't broken for it over it, at least he acknowledged it. And then, verses 19 through 4 1 8, we see Samuel confirmed as a prophet. Now, Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. All Israel, from Dan even to Bathsheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. In chapter 4, thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. God had his man. God had prepared him. God had his boy. It's an an unbelievable thing to back off and see the ministry of Samuel from the time he started with Eli, over Saul, and then over David. You know, and the way God used him to lift up, even lift up and put into place kings of nations. You know, I mean, Samuel was a—he was a—he was God's man. He was a man's man. He was—he was all God wanted him. I think part, obviously, is grace. You know, grace is putting there, not his own ability of grace. But I have to think about that mama's prayer. You know, Hannah's prayer for him of giving him to the Lord. You know, moms don't give up. Don't give up on us. You know, mother's prayer is a and fathers too, absolutely. But a mother's prayer is a, is a is a mighty force. Scripture says, Samuel grew before the Lord. The Lord was with him, he let none of his words fall. And his word, God's word through him spread to all Israel. It was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And then in chapter 7, 15, it will tell us, Samuel judged Israel all of the days of his life. He was a solid Big need for Israel. The big need in Shiloh was the word of the Lord, right? Chapter 3, verse 1. They needed a word. Look at um, the very last part of verse 21, 321. It says, the Lord revealed himself, look at this, to Samuel at Shiloh by the word. God had revealed himself again. He, was, he was, His word was going out, was flowing out to his people. God was faithful to let the light go. What grace, what favor God is bestowing on his sinful people. He'll do the same today. God will pour out his blessing on us Says until there's just not enough room to even contain it, or hold it all by the grace of God. Let's have a word of prayer, Lord. I just praise you for your goodness to us today. I praise you for the Goodness to the people in Samuel's day. And Lord, when we, when we study a passage like this, we, we, we focus on the Eli's and the Hophneys and the Phineas's and, the, and the,
1: the rebellious
0: people. But God, we know, we know that you had a remnant in that place. You had a people in Shiloh who loved you and were committed to you and longed for your presence. And they longed for your. Word. And God, how they must have suffered during that time when you withheld because of the sin of the people. And God, how they must have rejoiced when once again the word of God came to shiloh through Samuel. Lord, we, we were a needy people. We think we've got it all. We think we've got um, got it made. We're a needy people. We need a fresh new touch of your presence. We need a fresh brokenness in our lives, God, that will allow your word to, to do the work it needs to do. So, Lord, we commit ourselves to you. God, make each one of us a Samson, a Samson, a Samuel. Make us strong men and women who are committed to you and willing to be your service, willing to be molded and shaped into a vessel that, that you can use for your honor and glory. We give you the praise for it now in Jesus' name.